Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off by one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Here we go. And on today's show, Matt Cavender, the man who turns our incoherent babbling into meaningful thought, is going to share a selection of his favorite clips from the past year. Adam, Carol, Tim, and myself are taking the week off to recover from our families and work off some of those food babies. But fear not, dear listeners, we'll be back next week to ring in 2023 working code style. Here's hoping y'all had a lovely holiday and a happy new year. Enjoy the show. Yo, you would be happy to know that I sort of wish I had a test the other day. No! So, okay, I I will freely admit that in the past, I often talk about that I don't have tests. And most of the time, it's fine, quote unquote fine, because I'm working in such a narrow part of the application. I see everything that I'm going to change. And it's like there's one path or two paths through this code that I need to test manually. But the other day, we were trying to update one of the container, like the base image for one of our containers, our Docker containers. And I, I don't understand servers, and I don't really understand containers, and I certainly don't understand how apt-get works, which is like, it's like a package it's manager a, for yeah. Unix, right? I think there's a bunch of them, like Yummy and apt-get and a couple of others. Diff- yeah, different, different flavors of Linux have different package managers. Gotcha, yeah. okay. I don't understand how versions on those things work. I don't know if you can pin versions. I don't know if it's even clear how you can pin them or where you can see the list of versions. Anyway. For reasons that I still don't understand, we tried to upgrade the base image and it changed one of the versions for one of our app get installs from like 0.3 to like 3.7 and had completely broke every API (laughs) that we were using. And it was just a part of the application that I didn't smoke test after changing the image. And uh, unfortunately, I had deployed the update to production before Mm. I caught it. And and thankfully, we only got a handful of errors because, again, it's in this sort of weird corner of the application. But I, I shook my head and said, I wish there was a test for this. That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going around, in. guys. We're getting in. So it, and, and it, gets, it gets even more frustrating because the area of the application that broke, I actually did test. But I didn't realize that the type of file I was testing with actually had its own edge case deep in the code. Basically, it said, the thing that's going to break if you're testing with a JPEG, don't do this thing. And it mm. skips over it. And, and then so it only started to break when people started to upload non-JPEG images. And it just happened to be that I didn't test with that. Hmm. I, I blame it on code complexity more than not having a test. But <laughs> <laughs> So like I said, having no tests at all is a form of technical debt or, or missing tests is technical debt. And I guess the question then is when should you pay that off? Or does it make sense to write those tests if you know that the code that you're going to be testing is going away soon? And for me, I think the answer is it depends on how soon and it depends on how critical of uh, a part of the application is untested, right? right? Mm -hmm. If it's your payment collection stuff, it doesn't matter if you only have a week left. Like uh, if it's going to affect your bottom line like that, then you should have confidence that it's not broken. I would say that if you don't have tests at all and you're like, where are you going to put your resources, right? So things going away one to three years, maybe four years, maybe five years, where's the best resources for that? And I don't know 
Adam and Cameron's going to hate me for this, but I don't know if test is really the best thing to go. Like we don't have any tests. Let's go build a bunch of tests. I don't know if that necessarily is going to be a best use of resources. I don't think that he would argue with that statement given enough nuance, right? Like I, I, I even I agree with you. Like the, nobody is going to agree. Oh, well, whatever. I can't speak in generalizations. It's, I don't think it is a smart thing to stop the ship and start writing tests and do nothing but write tests. I mean, how you make that to the sea level? It's like, l- listen, right. we're, we're going to write a whole bunch of tests to make sure that this thing that supposedly is going away very soon works well, but right. we're not going to add any new features. We'll only fix breaking bugs during that time. And it'll probably take a lot longer than we think. And it won't make us any extra money. But that is extremely hard sell. I agree. Exactly, and- which is why I think that you need to couch it in okay so the tests that we're going to write are for the things that break in the middle of the night right. for the things that collect money for the things that yep. are going to that are going to make us as a business or as a team or like you my boss that's going to make you look bad because it broke those are the things i want to test right you need yeah. to cover the things that are going to cost you and mm-hmm. that does make it to the sea level and that does make sense so this is costing us face with our customer this is costing us resources to keep fixing it and we keep introducing more problems so i feel like if you're supporting this project as a as like a, a stopgap that if you're adding new features you should be adding the tests with it and yeah fixing where the bugs happen add a couple tests you don't have to cover the whole system but what you're touching could be easy. At the end of the day, what's the user experience, right? right. That's all that really matters. The user's the one that matters, not the coders don't. We mean nothing. Yeah, we mean nothing. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, you know, we're building it for them. So if the users are having a bad experience, that has to be stopped at all costs. Right. Note to self. To throw or not to throw an error when a delete operation is requested for something that doesn't exist. Quietly exit. Defer idempotency to a higher level in the call stack? Don't know. <laughs> Love Ben. <laughs> oh, this oh, is going to be good. I like this format. So good. <laughs> Note to self. Went back to transpiling my JavaScript. Sad panda. <laughs> Love Ben. Dear Diary. I've already created like four different epics this week in Jira. I love the idea of creating a deep backlog and I lean into having to reprioritize things on the fly. Love, Ben. <laughs> so, Ben, let's talk about your love for Jira. And, and how much you love the backlog. <laughs> deep backlogs. Mm, deep backlogs. <laughs> deep backlogs with Ben Nadell. <laughs> yes. Your own standalone podcast. <laughs> Note to self. Peeps sure do love their let and const. <laughs> love, Ben. Yo. Oh. Let, let's have it. Come on. Let's, Come on, buddy. Yo, I am just VAR for life, baby. Okay, so Scott, who are you and why do we have you on our podcast? My name is Scott Strauss. I am a developer. I have dropped the language adjective from from that particular title because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And I think when you've done things as long as I have, no matter what language you have, you actually pick up skills that you can use in any language and it actually becomes easier to learn new languages as you go. Currently, I work for Booz Allen Hamilton and I want to talk about uh, a situation we had on a project that I'm on where relying on unit tests actually saved us from missing a deadline. Intriguing. So TDD in the trenches. So this is science fiction. 
Okay. <laughs> ben thinks this is fanfic, so let's... Well, hold on. To be fair, Ben, there is a time I would have agreed with you, but this actually, it really did it really did save us from missing a deadline that had already been pushed several times. Before you get into the story here, talk to us about... So on the Discord channel, folks are just constantly haranguing Ben, or actually trying to get me and, and Adam to like get Ben to like buy into TDD. You are one who was kind of... I don't, wouldn't say against it, but didn't really see the value of it, didn't do it, and now you do it. Give us that journey before you give us the story. It really comes down to the fact that I used to be, I, Ben, I used to be like, like oh, I got a problem to solve. Let me just start writing code. Yeah. yeah. I can just, you know, let me just solve that writing code. And tests were kind of like an afterthought. And honestly, I'm going to be honest, I still do slip into that every once in a while where I'm like, I want to see if my idea is going to work before I test it. And then by the time I'm done, I'm like, oh, look, it works. Now I got to back on my tests. (laughs) And it just, for me, it's been situational on this particular project that I'm on. I've been on this project now for three years and I have been a huge proponent of writing tests. We use TestBox for the cold fusion code on the back end and we use Jasmine for the, the front end tests. And there's been quite a few times where I'm a maniac. Every time I create a new branch, like off of our, like our, we have a dev branch where everything goes. We create feature branches off that. Every time I branch off of dev and do a feature branch, the first thing I do is I run all the tests for the module I'm working in. And if any of them fail, then people get emails. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And doing that has actually saved us. And it's gotten to the point where like when I first started, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I get the idea of tests. That's great. But I've actually kind of become the person where I'm like, you got to write the tests. You got to make sure they work. And the one thing I realized on, on my particular team, and actually this is probably in a lot of different cases, is sometimes people don't know what to test or how to write the test to make sure that the code is doing what they expect it to do. And that that last one is really hard. Mm. It's really hard to, to figure out, all right, I need to make sure that this is actually testing what I, you know, that the code is actually doing what I want it to do. And then you got to figure out how you're going to write the test for it. Because not only do you need to, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking in every situation, you need two tests, minimum. You need a good test and a bad test. So, and if you have an if statement, now you need at least or I should say for every like logical condition or something like that, you need a test. So if you have an if statement, you need one for hey, yeah, that it happens and then a test for when it doesn't happen. If you have a switch statement, then you need one test for every case statement you have and then an extra one for when it doesn't match any of the case statements if you don't have a default. And it, it's really hard, I think, sometimes for people to start thinking like, how can I put these tests together to do that? Because they just think it's, it's a, they think it's a burden and, it, and, and that there's yeah. no benefit. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is... People need the need to see the benefit of it for themselves. And, and that's what happened to me before it actually starts drilling into your head. Like this is a good thing. And it's something that we need to do. What's the benefit you saw? We actually had, there were changes that were made in some parts of shared files. So like we have some shared services on the front end and those changes to those services failed in several other modules that would not probably would not have been picked up on because the modules were actually done and had, they were ready. They were like blessed and ready to go out to production with everything else. And some changes are made to these shared services, which broke stuff in those modules. And if we didn't change, or if I didn't run those tests, we never would have realized until it went to production and everything went boom and blew up. Mm. So nice. it, it's really helped. Fi- like actually, and as the applications gotten bigger, 
it's become even more important because now we have a lot of interconnectivity where there's a lot of different communication between the different modules and data sharing and stuff between the different modules. So it's, I'm a big fan now. Mm -hmm. Cool. And one of the things you were saying before was like every conditional, every switch, those are places where you need tests. But I think that the reason people don't realize that is the case is that each of those things, like each that, that condition, that if statement represents two things that could happen. And those things yep. happen for a reason. So those are features. Each mm -hmm. of those represents a, a feature path through the code. And uh, that's what you need to be testing is your features. Yep, exactly. As someone who watches the testing conversation from the outside most of the time, the, the, the one of the biggest hurdles for me in terms of wrapping my head around it is the granularity of the tests themselves. And I know you're talking about conditions and switch statements and having tests that map to those branches. But just to, to give this a concrete sense, like let's say I'm in a checkout process and I'm going to purchase an item and I'm buying it and I check out. So during that interaction, a bunch of stuff is actually happening. Like an order is getting placed. Like maybe it has order items. Maybe an email is going out. Maybe inventory is being decremented somewhere. Maybe there's a log being created for something. If I wanted to create a test that was like the purchase works, am, am I creating a single test that tests all that that happens? Or do you have like a test that says like when purchasing happens, here's the test that says the inventory is affected. And then I have another test that says, and when purchasing is done, let me make sure emails get sent. I have no sense if there should be like 15 asserts inside of my test or if that's a, a code smell. It depends. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> didn't realize we were inviting a politician on the show here. If I may, the, the, the situation that I wanted to talk about at work, I have one function inside of a service that the application calls. And then inside of that function, it makes a bunch of other calls to the same service that get specific mm -hmm. data that we're looking for a specific data point. So rather than having all the logic I needed in the one function, I broke it out into a bunch of different functions. Now, granted, there are a lot of asserts when I test that main function, but all I'm doing is I'm making sure, like I set a spy on all the other functions that are called in that particular main function, and I just make sure that those are actually called and that they're called with the data that I expect it to be passed. And then each of the functions that gets called has its own set of tests, depending gotcha. on how complex the logic was in that particular case. Yeah, so if... Somebody's more familiar with the terminology. A, a spy, it sounds like, is pretty much the same thing as a mock. To the thing that's calling it, it looks and acts like it's the same thing, but it doesn't actually do that work. Yes, but it, it it's a little bit different in the fact that in Jasmine, you can have both mocks and spies, and they do function. Like, you can actually spy a mock. So in in terms of, like, test box, if the, I think that's what you, what you might have been referring to, it's similar. But like, because the spy, you can actually mock out an object and then spy different functions on that, or you can actually spy functions off of a related service. Or so a spy even, is just the ability to see that it was invoked and these were the arguments. And exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and are you testing against a, a database, like an active database, or are you mocking out your data layer? How does that work? That, that Honestly, with testing, that's the biggest hurdle for me, is where does the data come from? For the client-side tests, no, because the client-side tests, we're only doing unit tests. So we're only yeah. testing the individual functions themselves. We're not testing how they interact with each other. And mostly that's because if you have good test coverage in the related services and the related methods on those services, then you don't need to test that you're getting back the right data because you already have the coverage elsewhere to handle that. For the tests that we run on the, the server side, yes, we do. We mock out the data. 
Like we actually, for all the different test files we have, we actually build the database files, populate it with test data, and then destroy everything when the tests are done. Gotcha. That's- yeah. I, I typically, I'll build a JSON data file, like I just script it out, and then it pulls it in from there rather than talking to an actual database. As an industry, we seem to be so well aligned that testing is so important in general, but the, there seems to be a complete lack of teaching of how to test and how to test mm-hmm. well. That seems like something somebody should create. I'm working on that. I actually submitted that that exact topic to several conferences for the summer. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, that was <laughs> totally unplanned. Uh... <laughs> uh, and it's funny. So I got, I'm on the an advisory board for a local college. And and this year they've asked me to come speak to like their graduating class and like, you know, talk to them about opportunities in computer science and things like that. But I do want to talk to them about, because I don't know what they're teaching in college, right? My son, he's about to graduate. He's going to be going to the same school I'm speaking at actually. And I, I don't know how well they teach testing. And if they don't, that's a big miss. Because I, I know when I went to school, they taught me a lot of programming. And there was no testing. Of course, this was ancient days. I don't think testing existed back then. <laughs> but I, I hope they do now because, yeah. I, it, I learned it, no testing in school, that's for sure. You did? No, I did not. Oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. If I can tangent for two seconds. Sure. Uh, this I is was, the Ben Nadell tangent show. So <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the movie 300. I, I assume everyone here has seen 300. I have they not. Don't. Maybe not Carol. Yeah, not me. It's early Gerard Butler. And I don't know if it's early Gerard, but it's Gerard Butler from like 15 years ago. Kind of like popularized his career. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this scene at the end where, I mean, spoiler alerts. I'm covering my ears. It's 15 years if you haven't seen it by now. (laughs) The 300 Spartans are basically at the end of what they can do. And King Leonidas, Gerard Butler, I think it's Leonidas. He he has to bow before the, I think the Persians are the uh, invading army. So he has to bow. So he takes his helmet off and he drops his shield and and then he gets down on his knees. And then he, some fighting starts to ensue and then he pops back up. And the narrator comes on and says like he had to remove his helmet because his helmet narrowed his vision and he needed to be able to see his enemy. And he had to drop his shield because his shield was heavy and it threw him off balance and he needed to be able to throw his spear very far. And not to be overly dramatic, but like a little bit, sometimes that's how I... (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that's how I think about like testing and linting and stuff. They're like, there are these tools that are there to protect us. But sometimes like, you have to drop that armor and you have to take off your helmet. You have to drop your shield in order to be able to be agile and to move quickly and to mm-hmm. attack your enemies. And you die yep. quickly. <laughs> yeah. So who won that battle? The Persians or the Spartans at Thermopylae? You're missing the point. <laughs> no, no, no. You're missing the point. <laughs> and Ben, is your helmet and shield ever on? or? <laughs> I mean, you know. I know where it is. I think you roasted him enough. (laughs) Okay. I sometimes play that role in my company, even though I'm not the top dog. But, you know, like, it's very clear the meeting has ended and we're all just sitting there in silence for two or three minutes waiting for anybody to, like, pipe up with any last thoughts. And I'm just like, I guess we're done. And that's when, like, oh, yeah, okay. So, and then people start disconnecting. See ya, have a good day. Beginnings and endings are hard, right? So particularly, yeah. it's like, all right, everybody's, no one wants to be there. Like, are we done yet? Like, yeah, it's like everyone's dancing around it, kind of saying goodbye without saying goodbye. Oh, no, we are really good at ending meetings at, at Clear Capital. Like our team, 
will immediately go, all right, looks like everybody's getting some time back. Let's get off this thing. Like yeah. we want out of the it's, meeting quickly. So it's bad because we all assume it's over with and we start hitting in and someone's like, uh, and then we have to go to Slack and say, did he ask a question or not ask a question? We all disconnected. Yeah. I mean, that it's easier with your team, but when it's with a customer, right? So oh, yeah. There's a bit of politics there. My favorite thing to say is, well, it seems like we're done here. I'll give you back 10 minutes, minutes of your day. time here. Yep. 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 10 minutes of your time here and we'll, we'll wrap this up. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Click. Yeah. <laughs> done. Quickly end. Sometimes I get frustrated because it feels like the goodbye back and forth is like a four-part volley. Mm. You're like, all right, I guess I'll see you later. And then they say, okay, see you later. Okay, have a great day. You have a great day. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, talk talk to you later. Okay, good Good job. All right. So Look forward to working with you. This isn't meeting really related, but it's goodbyes. So whenever I'm on a phone call with someone, I'm like, okay, bye. And I immediately touch the red button on my phone. Like, I don't wait because I'm like, I'm assuming the conversation's done. People, People call me back. People will be like, hey, oh, one more thing. I'm like, no, we said goodbye. We agreed this was done. Like, (laughs) we're done. No more conversation. I agreed this was done. (laughs) (laughs) We're over this. But oddly enough, Steve is the exact same way. So it works out great because I never offend him by hanging up on him. So it's amazing. (laughs) Have you ever accidentally told someone you love them in a goodbye? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, all right. Talk to you later. Love you. <laughs> like, oh, I just say that out of habit all the time. I'd never done that, but someone, so I was talking to, she was like the secretary at work and, and she's like, all right, all right. Talk to you later. Bye. Love you. I'm like, love you too. I'm like, she's like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. It just it was a knee-jerk reaction. Love you too. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, I care for you. Yeah. I'm not in love with yeah. you, but. Well, just like it was her like accident. It was your accident. Say it back. So yeah. She said, I love the fact that you said, yeah. I love you too. I'm like, okay, yes. yeah, but don't take, don't read more into it than, than <laughs> it was. <laughs> All right, Ben, what grinds your gears, man? <laughs> just so, take a minute I mean, and talk to us, buddy. Yeah. So I feel like I've been trying to crush it hard lately at work. And uh, I made this joke, I, th- I thought it was last episode or the previous episode, but like if I crush it in the woods and no one's there to see it, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. actually crushing it, yeah. And and so I'll, we have this like showcase channel in Slack where when people release product features, they'll make a little demo video and a little blurb about what it's doing. They'll drop it in this channel. And, and I do that too. And of course, I'm the only one doing it from V6. Everyone else is doing it from the new platform. The, so I'm on the legacy platform, V6. And, and it's just like, it's, it's crickets. I'll, I'll make a little demo video and I say like, here's the use case. And I drop it in there and I write, this is how much uh, ARR annual recurring revenue is attached to all of the tickets that have been filed. And that's a super loose number. I mean, that's nothing you could, but it, it, it's basically like, all the customers who have filed tickets around this thing, this is the amount of money they are paying us, not for that ticket specifically, but this is the amount of money that customer is worth. So we'll say like, oh, this had a 500,000 or a million dollars of ARR attached to this one issue. And I'm super excited about it. And then it's like, like maybe a few people maybe will give me like a thumbs up or a little like party parrot emoji. But no one even drops a comment and it's like, hey, that's cool. Or, oh, awesome to remove friction from our users' lives. And it's really kind of demoralizing. And But more than that, 
it's gotten me to think about, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the concept of the of love languages. There's a, yeah. a, a famous book called The Five Love Languages. I can't remember what pretty much any of them are. But, oh, come on. Uh, really? Like, like, like one is gifts. Yeah. Touch. Yeah, gifts. No. Gifts is not. A, oh, gifts. Yes, it is. With gifts. a T. Yeah. With yeah. a T. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Memes and gifts are definitely a love language, you guys. <laughs> I will say. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that's so good. That's so good. I will. I have on occasion <laughs> said that gifts with no tea is my love language. <laughs> Yo. Yo, so I was thinking about my love language, and I'm definitely a compliments person. Gifts don't really mean anything to me. So that would be what? Words of affirmation? Words of affirmation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Words of affirmation. And I think that's, you know, like, that's why this is so demoralizing for me is I I just want someone to come in and say, hey, Ben, you did a good job. Way yeah. to go. And, it's and that's like, not too much to ask for. <laughs> I know. It's not. Well, is, is MongoDB, I think this is like a stupid question maybe, but like, is MongoDB still a hot technology? Are people loving on it? Do you know? Oh, the, this is, you're going to get us canceled. <laughs> the, <laughs> no, because it was so hot. It was so hot for a while. It was web and then scale. Maybe it just moved into like, now it's battle tested. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people out there using it. I don't yeah. think that, I think that the hype curve, it's kind of come down from that peak, that yeah. initial peak. And people are finding where it actually fits and is a, a valuable use case. So I, I think you're, instinct or your read of the the room here is about right like it's not as it's not as hyped as it used to be people are talking about it less i think part of that is just because like there's less to say right it's uh, either you have been convinced and you're now using it or you are probably never going to need it and so there's there's no need to continue repeating the same conference talks or whatever over and over because so. <laughs> because it it definitely felt for a while, I'd say for like a, a, a couple of years at least, that Mongo was just, at least in the vocal community, was the default choice. Oh, I'm going to spin up a web application. Of course, I'm going to choose Mongo. I mean, even there was the mean stack, M-E-A-N, which I think was Mongo, Express, Angular, and Node. Uh, obviously, that was a very Angular-focused stack. But I, it, again, like it was just this default New application, of course, I'm going to choose a document database, but I've always been a relational guy, so I don't, I, I was not necessarily on that bandwagon. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a, there's some correlation between what I feel like I have seen is that there's some correlation between people who don't have a whole lot of relational experience and people who were like leading the hype train on Mongo. Not that they did anything wrong, but like you are going to champion the thing that you know nine times out of ten. Yeah, yeah. And just to be clear here, I am in no way hating on MongoDB at all. I don't have very much experience with it. My my lack of experience is just that a lack of experience. It's not a it's not a lack of preference. I prefer what I know, and what I know is my sequel. I, I just got a text message from Tim. It says Postgres. <laughs> 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 oh, so good. Oh, I, I didn't even think it was oh, that good Tim of a joke, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, well, it just tickled me because I know, that, like, I don't know. 
It just did hit me. It hit me out of nowhere. Let me throw this out there. I remember one from, if I'm not mistaken, from our origin stories Mm -hmm. uh, of Ben's that I want to throw out. Maybe we can use this as a springboard. You had to, if I'm not mistaken, for your boss, you had to go buy nipple cream. Yeah, yeah, she was uh, she was pregnant, and I guess this is a thing that happens. And uh, I was an intern, so not only was it my first job, I was still quite young and immature. And the idea of walking into, first of all, walking into a maternity store in general was very awkward. They have maternity stores. Oh yeah, at least in New York, they do at least. Oh, up here okay. in the north, we got stores for everything, buddy. Absolutely, right. man. Not just Costco or Publix, whatever you guys have. Dollar General. Well, yeah, the, I had to go buy nipple cream, and that was just, as a 19-year-old kid, that was, <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> hey, you know what? There's probably a lot of 19-year-old dudes who have had to buy nipple cream, A, for running, but B, also <laughs> for for their partner who was pregnant. Uh, partner, uh, I could see, But I not Ben. Ben was mortified. <laughs> I was mortified. I'm very happy that I have now blossomed into a wonderful young man and this would not be a problem for beautiful me flower <laughs> yes he'd be like yeah i'm a avid jogger i need some nipple cream <laughs> i've tried them all when i was a very young kid so my brothers they're 10 years older than me and when i was quite young i went to visit one of them in philadelphia he was going to a university of pennsylvania and he took me to condom world in, in Philadelphia, <laughs> which was immediately mortifying in and of itself. But then after we went to Condom World, we then went to... You guys really do have stores for everything up there in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> after we did that, we went to, it was like Tower Records, I think. Well, there was some big record store also kind of in that main drag. And so I'm this young, like, I think I was like 10 or something. I was really young. And I'm walking around with this semi-transparent bag that has boxes of condoms in it. <laughs> we, we, have to, we go into tower and, and my brother walks in ahead of me. And then I'm walking in and the security guard's like, sorry, you can't go in. You have to check your bag. And I'm mortified at the idea of handing over this bag of condoms to this adult. So I had to yelled at my brother to come basically save me. <laughs> and I ran out of the store and he had to come and, and take the bag and check it for me. But that's hilarious. Yeah. Lots and lots of mortifying. I things. feel like we wandered into after show yeah. territory, but I got to ask, I mean, <laughs> were they for you or were you just buying he, them? Like, no, like he a, got them for me as a joke, as a joke. Oh, uh, as a joke. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. A joke. Okay. At, at one of my first jobs, they had at one point said, Oh, by the way, if you hear the phones ringing and the receptionist isn't getting to it, would you guys mind oh, just on. picking up the phone? And really? I somehow turned that in my mind into this like phone answering sport. And I got really <laughs> addicted to answering the phone. And it's like, I wouldn't barely even let a single ring go by. And I was like practicing my phone voice. Okay, and, uh, let's hear it. Come on, let's hear it. I was trying to be very sultry. Bring, 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 bring. Good afternoon, Coco Interactive. How may I help you? And <laughs> <laughs> Is this a one nine hundred number? Or? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like trying to get like very sexy about it. And at, at one point, I remember one day this one of the account reps in our company, this this woman called in, and I answered the phone, and she goes, "Oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that." <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Ben. 
<laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> so at some point, I they they asked me to not answer the phones as much. <laughs> it was, I don't know, for a while, it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, oh. That, that's so you just kicked off a memory that was deeply buried. <laughs> I mean, this is, I guess, it's kind of trauma for me. So we had, so my first real tech job, we had a co founder who didn't last very long. But so one of my jobs for him was I would have to print out. So he was like from the mainframe era, right? So he like everything was, he would have me every day print out the current state of the code, of the source code onto like the dot matrix, you know, the big, really wide green and white sheets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, talking about with perforated sides. Yeah. Yeah. When you say the current state of the code, you mean just print out the application itself? Yeah. The the entire application. I would print it out every morning (laughs) because he would go through it like a teacher and like, like he would like redline different things. Yeah. He would read and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just going, I'm reviewing the code. I'm like going through the code. I'm like, why don't you just pull up on your monitor? He goes, this is just how I do it. Well, I'll tell you. So, I went to school for computer science and my, I think like the summer of my junior year, like between junior and senior year in college, I had this sort of moment of panic where I thought that being inside in an office was just going to be absolutely terrible. And I had just been really starting to get into hiking and reading like Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods and looking at trail maps and stuff. And I had this idea that maybe what I should do with my life is become a parks department employee and like Mm. maintain trails and like a park ranger. Yeah. Yeah. Like being outside all day and hiking through the woods and fixing up campsites and helping people who are in trouble. It seemed super attractive. And I, and for a brief moment, I mean, this is maybe like a two, three week period. I thought I had made a terrible mistake going to school for computer science that passed. And I've since been extremely happy, but, but there was a brief period where I really thought it would have been awesome to be in the parks department communing with nature. It's funny. So I'm, so I'm thinking about my early life. I, yeah, after I made that pivot where I decided I didn't want to be a nerd, <laughs> <laughs> I had this like, I was, I was a full nerd. And then I was like, no, I don't want to be a nerd anymore. I went totally like creative type. So like when I moved to Brooklyn, 1990, I was in Brooklyn for four years. And had a band. I was trying to break through as a musician. I was a singer, trying to get into acting and really? stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it was a complete failure, and I couldn't afford living there. So I eventually had to move back. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of why I do the, the extra background work, just kind of like get that taste of what well, could have been. I could have been a contender. I just needed someone to give me a break. <laughs> you know, what was your band called? My band? Yeah, the Caesars. Okay, that's why you failed. Yeah, that's why we failed. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that history tie-in. So, yeah. But, yeah, we had different bands. We It it was during the swing dance kind of phase. So, Mm. it was kind of a slight – it wasn't a full big band. We couldn't afford that. But, you know, it's kind of like the Harry Connick Jr. kind of of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. yep. Did not work at all. I've been out for like, you know, ever. Actually, Have you? Three weeks. Yeah, you hadn't noticed. Right? I didn't notice. Yeah, I didn't notice. 
I kind of got married. What? <laughs> Congratulations. It is so great. I'm so happy. Our honeymoon was amazing. I needed some downtime. He needed a break from work. He works a crazy job and it's super stressful and just has a lot going on. So we needed to rest. So it was nice to just be in a hotel room and watch Netflix and go eat breakfast and watch more Netflix and then walk <laughs> around on the beach and take a nap with no stress. It was just it was the best. I need the honeymoon more often or just vacation. I don't there you know. go. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw lots of pictures. It looked like you guys had a fun time. We did, and the wedding went good. So everything's great. Yay. So triumphs for me. So let, let me ask then, since you are architecture support, which kind of surprised me, right? I kind of saw it as like, what you said you don't do, the sort of top-down driven, here's the architecture, everyone conform. How do you or how do other people know when architecture support needs to get involved? That's a great question. Uh, Usually we come in towards the beginning of a project, sometimes even before we've decided if we're going to do a project or not. And sometimes we come in because something isn't quite going right. I've spent a lot of my career as a consultant, and we used to have this kind of motto that nobody calls a consultant when everything smells like roses. For sure. Usually there's, yeah, there's some kind of, there's some kind of impedance. So there's some kind of a concern. And then we'll come in and say, hey guys, what are we doing? How is it going? Another thing that we do with our team is all of our architects spend half of their time embedded in a team. Oh, that's cool. That's really nice. It's the only way to really know what's going on. So like you said, Mm -hmm. with the support guy, he's the one that really sees what the customers are doing. If your architect isn't down in the weeds helping do the coding, they only kind of know what's going on. And so that allows us to really have good visibility. So when the architect's on the team, I mean, are they just a contributor considered for that halftime? They're not like in charge, but if they do see something that they think is an architectural concern, they raise a flag. That's exactly right. We commit, we act as regular engineers. Really, the only difference is that the architect has the court architect team to go back to and consult with and say, hey, these guys are doing this and those guys are doing that. Oh, really? Because these guys over here are doing a whole different thing and then can kind of build those bridges to get people to talk. And then generally the architects have a little bit more of a involvement with the management. A big part of the architecture is helping to convince the upper management of the decisions that need to be made. You know, say, hey, we've done this analysis. We've written a write-up. We've broken it all down. And here's why we think this particular service is worth buying or that particular technology is worth avoiding. Does that make sense? It does. So like if the engineering team comes up with a solution and you go through it and you're like, yeah, that's cool. Like you'll go to bat with like the executives to be like, hey, like we've looked at this. We've looked at how it impacts the company and we think this is a good decision. So exactly. Another thing the architects end up doing is something that many engineers often hate to do. And that's talking to people. (laughs) No. <laughs> you guys on this call, I mean, I think you guys are all past that, but there, there are a lot of people that I'm even having a guy right now that I have to convince him that he wants to join the team because he's nervous about having to do the presentations and the write-ups that are a part of the job. A lot of engineers would really rather not do that. So interesting. Writing code is so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of struggling to get a concrete picture in my head of exactly what the job of architect is for that halftime that you're not a, an individual contributor. To the best of my understanding so far, it sounds like the job is to have a broad awareness of what's going on across the company 
so that you can see where people are kind of re-implementing the same things and push them to talk to each other? Is there more to it than that? Definitely. Although I'm glad you mentioned what you just said, because that is a really big part of it. It takes a lot of time to, to collect that information from the various teams to build them up to the point where they trust you to share that with you. But another big part of it, in fact, I have a, a presentation where we kind of say, what is the architecture team responsible for? And uh, let me just bring it up and I'll read you a couple of little bits off. I mean, we provide cross product ownership, especially of the little pieces and services that aren't owned by anybody else. Oh yeah. <laughs> you guys have all seen this, like here's a critical piece of business functionality. <laughs> Nobody remaining at the company has any idea how it works. Yep. <laughs> oh, too close, too close to home. We had a thing where a customer exited and somebody had to be responsible for exporting all of their data onto CDs and making certain that we kept none of it. Architects got that. The metaphor I like to use is we are both the A-team and the janitorial staff. If nobody else can help, we come in. If nobody else wants anything to do with it, we come in. Let me draw one more thing here. And just because everybody has a different mindset and things are important to different people in different ways. So going back to this idea that having testers can make developers sloppy, it's a little bit to me when I hear people on various podcasts say that, oh, if you just use prettier or standard or something to that effect, then you don't have to worry about formatting your code. Like I'll just write garbage code on the screen and I hit command S and the tool auto formats the code for me. And I'm always like, wait, what? You're not thinking about the formatting of your code? Like, how do you do that? How do you not? It'd be like writing prose without worrying about punctuation. Like, you, as someone who <laughs> thinks about writing, like, it wouldn't make sense. Like, that's not a gesture that makes sense. Like, it's mathematically impossible. And, and so that's why I get a little weary of having too much of a, of a safety net of a QA team. Because it's like, you just start to, it's like you turn off parts of your brain. And I don't mean like you're getting dumber. I just mean like, it's like you're turning off parts of the algorithm that always used to be there. And I get very nervous about that. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, again, no surprise to hear that you have concerns about linting and formatters. <laughs> but I, it's funny because I used to have that exact same opinion. When I first saw and heard people talking about prettier, I was like, why? But I can just do that by hand. But I, And I can't explain how I came to change. It's not even that you can do it by hand. It's like my mindset is that I can't not do it. It's not mm. like I'm opting in. It's that in order to do it, I'd have to start opting out of that mentality. And I don't know how to, that feels more unnatural to me than worrying about formatting. Let me draw an even crazier analogy. So I have a big fear of physical violence. Like I have a big fear of getting attacked by random people. And so over the years, I always, I play this game with myself where I see people do stuff that doesn't make sense to me. And I think to myself, if what they're doing doesn't make sense, like where on the scale of how likely they are to become violent because their view of the world is so different than mine. And it's like super ridiculous things. Like you get into an elevator and then someone else gets into the elevator and you're in a closed space and they start whistling and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, if you're willing to get into an elevator with someone else that you don't know and just start whistling, like how likely are you to then become violent because your view of the world is so skewed? And obviously that's like a nonsensical jump, but like it's a nuanced scale. Like what if they have sunglasses? 
Right. Yeah. Like you're inside <laughs> and you have sunglasses on. Come on, man. Like I'm like moments away from being attacked. But so when I think about people who don't think about the formatting of their code while they're writing it, I'm like, what else, what else are you not thinking about? Like what else in the world of software development is not important to you in a way that it is important to me? And like, how does that actually affect our ability to work together? So hmm. some of that linting is like a I don't want to say red flag is that's like, that's too, that's not really, it's not that extreme, but it's a, it's just like a moment where you're like, oh, this person sees the world in a way that is different than I see the world. And is that going to become a point of friction for us? And it's a question mark. So I forget how we got onto this. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It was, do you have testers? <laughs> dear diary overly general css selectors are the worst the worst input type text makes it much harder to override p.s i discovered sunglasses and they're amazing love ben (laughs) (laughs) note to self I wrote my first Gulp.js plugin, 2015 called, It Wants Its Build Script Back. (laughs) Yeah. Note to self, I spend a lot of time sharpening my blade, which I often think is a waste of time. However, upon reflection, I see that so much of what I glean in my experimentation is such that I end up applying to work. So maybe it's not a waste of time. Hearts and kisses. (laughs) <laughs> I had an LOL at work earlier today because someone, so at work, we do these things called DACES and I, and I can't even remember what a DACY stands for. It's like DACY, it's, it's a, a D-A-C-I, it's, it's a decision matrix. Yeah, it's a tree. So you basically how yeah. you come up with a, an answer to a question. Yeah, it's like, we need to do this thing and here's options A, B, C, and D, and here's the pros and cons and like the level of effort and the cost of doing all these things and you figure out which one you're going to do. It's kind of cool. It's interesting. So anyway, (laughs) in the options, someone asked for my feedback. They're like, hey, can you jump in and leave some feedback about option D? And it's talking about all the risks. And then under all the mitigations, they're like, oh, we'll mitigate the risk by having lots of unit tests and integration tests. And I was like, like, talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Ben. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's, but it is a fascinating question as well, because as I've said before, which Adam Cameron refuses to agree with ever which is that I'm the, only, ever. I'm the only one who's ever going to touch this code. And, and it just doesn't feel like tests are, are a value add. And I'm not saying tests are never a value add. I'm saying in this context, it's, it's me and then it's the trash bin. Like there is, no, there is no one afterwards. So to me, it's not technical debt, but to all onlookers, perhaps it is. The other piece of technical debt, when I scrape the bottom of the barrel here, looking for things that I calculated a decision on was doing a lot of on the fly SQL calculations, you know, like reading in hundreds of thousands of rows and aggregating. Yeah. Because you're like, I don't know if anyone's going to use this. I'll just put Uh some counts and some sums and like, there's no Uh really great indexes on this table, but whatever, like just, you know, grip it and rip it. Let's do this. Oh boy. uh, Yeah. 
some of that stuff. That can hurt really. after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's been some queries that have taken the Ooh. database to a standstill. They don't age well. No, 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 they don't. For some reason, this week at work, I've found myself using the terms YOLO and YEET very <laughs> frequently. <laughs> I, like, I don't know the second one. What was it? YEET? YEET. YEET. yeet, yeet. Water or something. Yeah. Y- Y-E-E-T. YEET. Oh, it's just oh like launch God. it. Just, just chuck mm-hmm. it. Don't yeet us the fetus. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when you said grip it and rip it, that's probably the, the most analogous. I like it thing and i feel very old using the same using analogous and yeet in the same sentence yeah did anyone ever watch the tosh.0 daniel tosh's like clip show i've I've seen it never religiously seen it there's one there's one guy he interviewed it was this guy he was going to do like a jump with a on a snow machine on a snowmobile snowmobile yeah and i forget he's like trying to figure out whether or not he's going to make it and he looks at the camera goes y'all silly i'm still going to send it and it's just like he's become my my go to <laughs> mental model for anything. Nice. I, I'm gonna have to Google that. Yeah, oh, it's the best. Okay, here we go. It is show number one zero zero one hundred. The spectacular, and I regret everything. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, one hundred guys. I can't, I can't believe, believe it. it. Thanks for coming on this yeah. journey with us. All right, what's our topic tonight? So the topic for tonight is nothing. We're we're done. Uh, yeah. Great episode. Your heart matters. Thanks for coming. Wait, you can't get off that easy. Oh, it's this thing. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna eat some spicy food here. Boom. We got a bunch of questions Ooh. from listeners, and Tim is gonna MC this whole thing because he's our resident spice lord. Um, yep. So he won't be as perturbed by these things as the rest of us. And, and so I, hey, he, I'm not saying I'm not gonna have moments where I have to, to take a minute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to take a minute. I'm so excited. Right. So you guys ready for ready to get going? Absolutely. Yeah. Can we say thank you to Sean? Didn't he send us some of these? Yes, uh, we should. Awesome thinking, flavors. Carol. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love the bottles. Mm-hmm. I love that my favorite was Carol. I love that I have my own sauce. I won't say that the rest <laughs> of the guys also got their own sauce. I'm just going to say there was definitely one named Carol and it looked kind of ginger like. So I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even pick yeah. up it's on it. That's orangey. great. It's very orangey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it the orangest of them. Yeah. It's st- it will steal our soul. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you, Sean Odin, aka Papa Bear, for, for sending these. Um, I, have, I have not tasted them. Yeah. I'm not, I, I wanted to be surprised. He recommended that I do. Uh, but I'm not tasting. He gave us kind of the lineup. He so he sent us six hot sauces. Three of them he mm-hmm. made himself. Um, I think two, no, three. Yeah, into and, the mic. Yeah, three and three. I can I, I can math. Um, three of them are purchased. Uh, the, the hotter ones, and then I have two sauces that I one that I made, and the other is the uh, dreaded the bomb. If you've ever watched Beyond um, Insanity. Yeah, Beyond Insanity. If you ever watched the Hot Ones on YouTube, uh, the bomb is kind of the one that it really kind of sets the bar. Yeah, the bomb. The bomb's coming up. Ooh, I got to oh, lick my finger. I got a little bit of already. Boy. Oh boy! Technically, there's some in the bowl. I'm not looking forward to this one. What's it smell like? Does it I know. smell like pain? I'm gonna shake it. It has notes of death. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's going to explode. It, it actually has like a uh, like a chili, like um. Oh yeah, like chili powder. Chili, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, chili powder. Kind All of. right, you guys ready? Yeah. One, two, it's three. On there. 
God. It tastes terrible. It really does taste awful. Oh, oh. Is not <laughs> it is not a tasty sauce. It's like. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh God. <laughs> oh, that's not fun. That's not fun. <laughs> but it's fun to watch you. <laughs> it's very fun. Ow. Oh. It's a, it is a terrible sensation to be oh, cracking God. up at somebody else's pain and also in pain. <laughs> but what's funny is it only get it, it only get, it only it's only gonna get worse for the next two minutes. Oh, oh. oh God! Oh, it's getting way worse. It's, yeah, it's, it's gonna get worse. Oh. The first bite is not the worst. Try not to cough. Try not to cough. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard Ben curse this much. <laughs> I think okay, I that's the second time I've spit milk oh. out. <laughs> oh god, this is awful. Oh yeah. god. No. <laughs> Been at a leaf. Been at a leaf. All right. So, guys, who would you see that? What What would you do if you knew you wouldn't get in trouble for it? What, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't get in trouble for it? Oh. Besides, kill me right now. Uh, I would find the guy who the... the guy I would find the guy who created the sauce, and I would <laughs> in his pants. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, so after all that warning about not touching your eye, I had a paper towel on my finger, but. That's oh. still, uh, got through. Oh, <clears throat> that sucks. <laughs> so we just we just pepper sprayed ourselves in the mouth, right? Ben, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you okay, buddy? No, I am very not okay. <laughs> oh. oh, which one of you made this? No, this is so. <clears throat> this is this is a bot sauce called the bomb. Oh my god, this is all beyond insanity. Beyond insanity. <laughs> I'm I'm done. This is ridiculous. This is not how people live. I can't eat you, Tim. I'm sorry. <laughs> Carol. <laughs> so bad. I'll throw up. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I'm gonna go with a triumph. I'm gonna call it a soft triumph because it's Woo-woo. a triumph laced with a little bit of sadness, but I, I've decided that the current project that I'm working on, on the legacy platform, I'd like it to be the last project that I work on for the legacy platform. I'm I'm tired of living on the edge and like never quite knowing when the legacy platform is going to go away. And I'm tired of trying to fight against the current. I sort of just, I just want to let go of all that baggage and, mm. and move over to the new platform and kind of be looking in the same direction with everybody else. Good for you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. (laughs) So, you know, I am a little sad about that, but I started having a one-on-one 
meeting weekly with one of our director of engineering for the platform. And she's the first person that I've really started opening up to in a, in like a reporting structure kind of way. And it's sort of just, I don't think I realized quite how frustrated I was until I started telling someone how frustrated I was. And it just, it opened up a whole lot of emotions and, and I, don't know, I just sort of lost, I lost a, the, the desire to fight, you know, and, and I sort of just want to be on the same page with everybody else. Hold on. I had one more thought in there. Give me one second. Okay, you got it. What the heck? I know I had, like this, something was bouncing around in my mind. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the other thing is that uh, we've been slowly migrating all of our enterprise customers off of the legacy platform and we're basically done. There's like four or five enterprise customers left on legacy. And the thing about having the legacy, the thing about having the enterprise customers there is that that was my connection to the customers because enterprise have support contracts and they talk to our customer-facing team, and then I can talk to our customer-facing team and get a sense of what our customers are liking, what they're not liking, where there's maybe some opportunity. Now that it's just non-enterprise users on the legacy platform, there's there's really no communication channel for mm-hmm. me. They don't even really file support tickets because they don't, I don't even think, I don't even know if they can file support tickets. <laughs> <They're not laughs> they turn that off. Enough. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm, they might not be allowed to. So there's like, I think there's a public forum they can participate in, but uh, it's, it's, I'd like, there's no more connection between me and the customers. And it was really the customers that was driving me to want to improve the legacy platform. And if I can't communicate with them, I feel like I'm really working in an echo chamber and, and I, and I got no one to talk to anymore. So. Yeah, it's time to move on. Time to move on to the new platform. So when you said that this was going to be your last project, I got emotional for you. Like, and then when you kept talking, I got a little sweaty. Like, this is a lot, a lot to take in all at once. Like, it's been your baby for so long and it's been your life that to hear you've hit that point where you're okay moving and you're okay letting go and just seeing what the future holds, man. You got me in my emotions tonight, Ben. I mean, he's he's had a relationship with this thing as long as you've had kids, Carol. I know, right? (laughs) Don't make me cry here. Well, you know what? I want to go watch. There's a Netflix show. I think I mentioned it many, many, many episodes ago. There's a Netflix show called Seven Days Out, I think. And uh, or one week out, something like that. And it's and it's a bunch of episodes. Each episode is completely separate. One of them is about the Cassini satellite that they crashed into Saturn or Venus or something. And uh, it's 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 a whole episode about things coming to an end and and how emotional everybody gets. And I feel like I need to go and watch that one more time just to like get all the cries out. <laughs> hey, if you, if you want something similar without rewatching, I just on Amazon Prime I watched Good Night Oppie. It's about the uh, the opportunity probe, the rover that was on Mars that you know only supposed to be a ninety day, and it lasted like fifteen years, I think. Oh wow! And like the relationship that this is pretty well done. They very they very anthropomorphize these these the robots that that were on Mars, but just the whole relationship that this, these teams had with them. And I mean, they got at the end. I'm crying like like oh, they tried to shut the rover down. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the few things I have watched, and I agree. At the end of it, I was bawling like a baby because 
you built this emotional connection with yeah. the products that you're working on and what you're delivering. And when you thought it was going to only survive a year and it gave you 15, you're like, how do you let go? How do you let go? I totally get it. Well, there's well, a, in, in the episode I'm talking about on Netflix, there's they, you know, NASA, they calculate everything down to like the half second practically, even despite the fact it's hundreds of thousands of miles away. And they, as the satellite is crashing into the atmosphere, they have an estimate of when it'll stop being able to send back data. Right. And they hit that mark and then it continues to send back data for like another 30 seconds or 60 <sighs> seconds. And I was like, oh my God, it's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> you go, buddy, you go. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I'm proud of you though, Ben. I mean, it's it's scary. It 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 yeah. But you know, all things that are worth doing are scary at first. Yeah, yeah. It'll be big, and I'm and I'm sure I'll have a lot to say about it as as time goes on. So yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to recall our "I work on the legacy platform" sticker now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wait, good timing. (laughs) Oh wait, Red Bubble already did that. Never mind. (laughs) As we're shut down. So do you guys do you guys know that so Alexa is coming up with a new feature that's that's coming out that they will you can have Alexa tell you a bedtime story or just any sort of story. No. Yeah. And it will come up with story and like and sometimes even like little pictures and music and like different voices and so you give it maybe a prompt or something, you know, tell me a story Alexa about you know this <laughs> and it just and i'm just worried it's like you know what happens whenever you ask a story and it's like going to give your kids nightmares for weeks because it comes up with a scary story the wrong one right well years ago i mean maybe like four years ago five years ago at work i forget we had some sort of meeting and there was like goodie bags and everybody got some sort of a an, an alexa dot or something some sort of you know like little round speaker thing you keep at home and i turned it on and me and the missus were sitting there and we were trying to figure out how it works and asking it questions and and it just like didn't understand a lot of the questions and finally i was like alexa why is my wife so hot and it was like i'm sorry i don't understand that question i was like this thing's dumb and i turned it off and i never turned it back on (laughs) i'm sure it's gotten better let me give you another example. So I, I posted this on our Discord for patrons. I said, write a limerick about a code monkey. And so here's a limerick. A code monkey with no degree works hard with great tenacity. Though he's not a pro, he codes like he knows that his work will bring prosperity. Oh my God, that's kind that's of great, great, actually. That's actually amazing. And I also did one. The prompt was write a, a Bible song, a Bible song about Postgres SQL. <laughs> it's pretty long, so I won't give you the whole thing. I'll just give you the, the, the first verse in the chorus. My heart will sing your praises, O Lord of Postgres SQL, for you have given us a powerful tool to store and query data with ease. It is a gift of such great magnitude. And here's the chorus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord of Postgres SQL. It is such a gift. It's a gift of such great grace, for you have provided us a way to store and query data with ease. Oh my, wait, so what? What is what's generating these things? That's the same thing. The the, the beta open AI. AI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Well, now I got to try it. That's this. This, this is just a lot of fun sounding. <laughs> it is pretty so funny. Silly. So silly. Yeah. Well, then, this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Ben's CRM. For that time, your friend did that thing that you want to remember. Now available at crushingit.tips. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners like you. 
So this episode of Working Code is brought to you by all the waffle cones that were quote unquote not good enough to sell (laughs) that I made when I was working at TCBY. So I just went ahead and ate them for you so that you didn't have to eat a crabby waffle cone. Appreciate it. And listeners like you. This episode of Working Code is brought to you by Flaky Tests, just like grandma used to make. (laughs) And listeners (laughs) like you. All right. This episode of Working Code is brought to you by being an adult person who uses a calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners like you. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.